Diamond Club Baseball has produced elite athletes for 10 years now and is even trusted by your Colorado Rockies to run their scout team program. Diamond Club is based right here in Denver, and their goal is to treat player development just like it's a minor league organization so that your child can be set up for the ultimate success. Everyone works together to make sure that everyone's getting the proper instruction that they need to help youth athletes grow and to become great ball players yet enjoy the game. That's why I have my son playing with Diamond Club because it's it's a great way to really show them they're, they're learning baseball the right way. That was Sean. As he mentioned, his son plays on a Diamond Club team. They offer multiple summer camps, private lessons, high school teams, and youth competitive teams. Plus, their prices are more affordable than their competition. Diamond Club has very fair price. You know, when you kind of pay and know that all fees for the tournaments, fields, uniforms, and instruction are taken care of, as well as getting access to some of the things that other programs don't offer, like entire team instruction and fitness programs, you know, the whole package to really make sure that a ball player ends up a well-rounded youth athlete. Believe us when we tell you that after experiencing the knowledge, positive attitude, work ethic, and fun that their summer camps provide, your child will want to play on one of their teams. Check out diamondclubbaseball.net today to learn more. Broncos are back, and with the Broncos being back, the drama is back, Zach. <laughs> BSN Broncos podcast, Ryan Konigsberg and Zach Stevens. Of course, the BSN Broncos podcast is presented by Elixinol. Make sure you check out Elixinol.com, and 5% of your purchase will go to a nonprofit of your choice today. And Oh, man. We knew it was coming. I bet you someone, one of our loyal listeners who likes to go back and listen to other podcasts, someone could go back and have... I, I'm pretty sure I imitated what I thought Joe Flacco was going to say up there, and it couldn't have been more spot on. Ryan, is Joe Flacco here to mentor Drew Locke? Hell no. <laughs> and and, he, and All right, let's just jump right in. You know, I don't even want to, to beat around the bush anymore. Joe Flacco's asked, essentially, are you here to mentor Drew Locke? He essentially says, no, I'm here to win football games. Um, Rich Gangarello's job is to, to teach Drew Locke and T.C. McCartney. Actually, I don't even know if he mentioned T.C. But that was the gist of it. Is there anything I'm missing? Is there any uh, nuance that I need to cover? Nope, that's it. He mentioned Rich Gangarello, how that's his job twice. Uh, he beat around the bush at the start, and then in, in his further answers, he beat around the bush a little but did throw in the, that's not my job. And you know what? He's right. And Vic Fangio echoed the exact same sentiment. He said, in the end... It's on Drew to watch and learn. And, and here's, here's one thing that I will say because some people are like freaking out saying that media is spinning um, Flacco's words. I don't think anyone spun Flacco's words. But there was one thing he said, which was, I hope Drew does develop. But the way that he's going to develop is by watching us do it right and do it well. And that's fine. And so to jump right in here, 
I don't blame Joe Flacco for a single word that came out of his mouth. Now, could he have just made this a lot easier on himself? I think so. How so? I would have just said, if that's what it takes, of course. I'll do anything to help this team get better. So did people view this as being a bad teammate? I think so. I think I even saw Kurt Warner tweet out, and he was like, What's up with these quarterbacks saying they don't want to mentor young guys? I thought the quarterback's job was to make the team better in any way possible. And so, like, I get why people are upset in that, right? And if you just wanted him to lie, because that's what he could have done. He could have just lied and said, you know what? Uh, My job is to make this team better in any way I can. And if that means preparing the backup quarterback, then yes, I'll help Drew with whatever I can uh, if he is the backup. He could have said that, but he told us the honest truth, and that's what we want. And so I'm not going to pounce on him in any way, shape, or form. I'm going to say thank you, Joe, for being honest and essentially saying, I got enough. I'm trying to learn a new offense. I'm trying to bond with my teammates. I'm trying to be a leader. I'm trying to, in the end, accomplish the only thing that matters, which is to win football games. And I did see a headline that said, and it was from a, a national company, not anyone here, that said, Joe Flacco will not mentor Drew Locke. And if you saw that headline, that is false. He did not say that. But, Ryan, he... I, I think he did. He, he, he didn't explicitly say that. What he, but what he didn't say, he never once said, yeah, I'm going to sit down and have a conversation with him. I'm going to bring him along through this path. I'm going to show him the ropes. When we're in that quarterback room, I'm going to make sure he's on the same page with me. No, he said Drew is Drew is going to learn. I'm sure Drew's going to learn from hearing the conversations that Rich Scangarello and I have, um, from watching me on the field, from watching us have success, and when we're all out there on the field, you know, running through drills together. Never once was there a I'm going to take him under my wing. I'm going to I'm going to do this to help him. I'm going to do that to help him. The way Joe Flacco said he. Drew Locke will benefit from him, not even he will help Drew Locke, is Joe Flacco having success. That's how Joe Flacco believes Drew Locke will be successful, is in sitting in successful meeting rooms, watching him, watching Joe be successful out there on the field, lighting it up. And he's right. That's what, that's what will help Drew um, learn the most. Now, there's two things that I want to avoid here. One, I've really... And I think this is unavoidable at this point, but I really want to avoid Joe Flacco becoming a villain in this story. I don't think he is. Um, He's trying to do his job. And if it's – maybe if it's Peyton Manning, it's a little different. Peyton Manning's job is not in jeopardy in any way. But this has already happened once to Joe Flacco. He knows that you can be replaced. Now, I bet you he feels a little bit more comfortable considering they do – they are similar quarterbacks – um, Drew is obviously the more fleet of foot, but other than that, they're more similar. Whereas with Lamar Jackson, like he looks at that and he's like, I can't do any of those things that he's doing. So if they all of a sudden decide those are the things they want to do, I'm done. I think he knows that as long as he does his job and he probably felt confident leave, leaving yesterday's practice because he was far and away the best quarterback out there. And I mean, far and away the best quarterback out there. And that's not a knock on Drew Locke. It's just I don't think he made a bad decision once all day. It just looked easy for him. Ryan, didn't it look like there was the guy who was a 10-year veteran on the job and then a guy on his first day on the job and then two guys who just were in a different class? Yeah, I I noticed it right away because the first throwing drill they had was into the wind. And 
two of the balls were cutting the wind. Might as well have the vortex whistle going on them. <laughs> and two of the balls were fluttering a little bit and getting there a little late. Of course, the two that were getting through there were Joe and Drew. And those were the things that you noticed where you're like, okay, these two guys are different. Um, but it was very clear that there was a Super Bowl winning, Super Bowl MVP, 10-year veteran out there, and a bunch of young guys. And once, once they took into the team period, that's where you discovered that Joe, I never once noticed him uncomfortable in the pocket. And he had... Elijah Wilkinson is his right tackle. I mean, there was pressure getting to him, and he he was calm. He was sharp in his passes. He made the right decision nearly every single time. And Drew, he he was nervous in, in there. You could tell right away there was some nerves. And then once those nerves kind of settled down, he was still figuring this game out. I mean, he had some 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 pressure in his face. You could tell. He really wanted to focus on staying in the pocket. That's probably been preached to him these last two weeks since being drafted. Uh, and he was doing Drew Locke things of throwing off his back foot, uh, of making weird angle throws. But you know what? Uh, the ball didn't look bad, but it's just not he, – he, he fell away from his technique. Yeah. Uh, the way I described it is he displayed the entire arsenal. And and you mentioned those things that he did. A lot of those things resulted in completions. Mm-hmm. You know, jumping off one foot, throwing a sidearm pass around a defender in his face and a completing it to the tight end in the flat. That's great. Um, he had one where there was pressure in his face and he threw off his back foot and got it to the sideline for like an eight-yard out. Got it there on time. That's awesome. The problem is in the NFL – if you if you make a habit of that, you are going to find trouble. If and that's your practice – when thing when the bullets are live, you're going to be in trouble. And so, we we never thought that Drew Locke was going to come in and be better than Joe Flacco on day one. At least I didn't. No, I don't think I don't think most people did. But he just he needs to learn his mechanics. He had one that the most concerning throw of the day to me, and it had nothing to do with the fact that it almost got intercepted. Um, he ran a play action pass. It was a deep drop, and he had a deep comeback route to the left sideline, and it was open. And he saw it come open, and with 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 a, a defender coming towards him, but not in his face yet, he decided to throw it off his back foot. It fluttered a little bit, not a lot, and was nearly intercepted. It actually ended up being caught by <laughs> Trinity Benson. Um, it was very Brandon Stokely-esque. Um, but th- that was the one thrower I'm like, Drew, you had all that time back there. You got through your drop. The play action worked. You were sitting back there, and he got excited when he saw it come open and just fired it. And, and that's the things you can get away with when you're you know, the big man on campus at Missouri and you have the rocket arm and you're going up against college players. What he needs to learn is put your foot in the ground and deliver that thing on an absolute rope, which you're capable of, and make sure that defender has no chance of getting there. If Drew Locke would have looked better than Joe Flacco yesterday, Ryan, that would be bad, bad bad news because let me remind you last year during training camp Patrick Mahomes he was showing flashes he would have those sidearm passes that looked great he was throwing interceptions left and right he was making mistakes left and right and what's he do he comes out on the uh during the the regular season and absolutely lights it up so for anyone to be disappointed uh or change their expectations for Drew Locke based on yesterday that's that's completely wrong on you for doing that but it was clear that Joe Flacco was going to be able to pick this offense up better. Well, he's already had, what, two extra months with this offense, uh, and, and there's no question about it. Week one, 
Who's going to be more calm? Who's going to feel more comfortable? It's Joe Flacco. And Ryan, that's why you and I, even though we're both all in on Drew Locke as the future, just as John Elway is, we both think Joe Flacco's a starter week one. We both think he's the guy uh, for this year or the majority of this year. Yeah, and again, I'm going to be saying this a thousand times this offseason. I don't want to fall into the trap of thinking that practice always converts to the field because I just, I'll never forgive Case Keenum for what he did to my brain. But if Joe Flacco looks like that, the Broncos will be fine. Um, and he'll be fine. And I think that's the way he's feeling about all this, and it should be. The way he should be feeling is as long as I take care of business, no kid is taking my job. And, and even if the Broncos are 3-5, and five, in that ninth game, Joe Flacco will still probably give them the best chance to win. With that being said, that's how he gets replaced, is putting the Broncos in a position where they're just they're moving on to the future. And so it, he is pretty much at any point this year, Joe Flacco will probably give the Broncos the best chance to win in any given game. Um, but if you make the team start to think about the future and say, okay, well, you know, we're probably not going to go seven and one the rest of the way out here. Let's start getting a look at Drew, Drew Locke. That's what, that's what gets Joe Flacco benched. And he knows that. And, and so going back to his comments, I think they were completely fair. And I think anyone expecting Joe Flacco to stand up there and say, look, I'm an aging quarterback in this league, and my best days are behind me. And so my legacy, I hope my legacy is that I made Drew Locke the best quarterback possible for the Broncos. If you were expecting that or anything in that vein, you had unrealistic expectations. What, what, the best you could have expected is what I said earlier, which is him to say, hey, I just want to help the team win games. And if that means getting Drew Locke ready just in case something happens to me, then I'm happy to do that. Ryan, if, if BSN were to bring someone on and, and, and have them be your two, or me, let, let's say they bring me on and they say, Ryan, this guy's going to be your two uh, for, forever. You know, you guys are going to work together forever. Don't worry about him taking your job. Would you help him out? You'd probably say, of course I'm going to mentor him. Of course I'm going to teach him everything I can. Help him get as best as he can be. Now let's say BSN says, Ryan, we're going to have this guy come underneath you. He will take your job someday, just depending on how good he is. How good you are. Uh, it, yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll determine if that's tomorrow or if that's in five years from now. Uh, would, would you help him get to be as best as he can be? Probably not. I mean, it's human nature. <laughs> There's no difference. Let's say if this were Emmanuel Sanders with Deshaun Hamilton. Deshaun's not not here to kick Emmanuel out right now. Now, maybe a little bit down the line, but there's multiple receiver positions on the field. That's what it comes down to most, is Emmanuel and Deshaun can have success on the same play. Exactly. Joe Flacco, once Drew Locke comes in and, and, and is that guy... They're not keeping Joe Flacco around next year if Drew Locke does that this year. They're not keeping him around in 2021. And then Joe Flacco's missing out on $22 million next year and, what, $24 million in 2021? So, no, he, does, he doesn't need to mentor him now. There's a difference between being courteous and being a professional and being a co-worker as opposed to mentoring. You know, you, you you got to be a decent human being to him. And, and I expect Joe to be that, but I don't expect him to be warm and fluffy. Neither do I. Um, I expect Joe to answer any question that Drew has. 
I don't expect Joe to go out of his way to tell Drew the question that he should be asking him. And Joe told us he's not going to do that. And he shouldn't. Well, it's not that he shouldn't. It's just that I, it's understandable that he wouldn't. It's not in his job description. It's not. And to... I will say this. I saw an interesting point on Twitter today, and I'm sorry for not remembering who tweeted it. But they said this is... I think it was Joel Rush, who's a Nuggets guy. He said, this is uh, a downside of NFL contracts not being guaranteed. Everyone's looking out for themselves because they have to because their money is dependent on them being the guy. Makes a lot of sense. If Joe Flacco was getting his 60-whatever million dollars no matter what, then he wouldn't really, he would still want to be the starter, but he wouldn't be that worried because there is still a chance, and it's a very small one, there's still a chance that Drew Locke could come and get Joe Flacco's whole bag. <laughs> Just take it out. Take it and, and bring it right back to John Elway and say, here's $18 million. I'm better than that guy. That's still a possibility. Now, if yesterday was any indication, and again, it's one day, but it was to show that Joe Flacco has a 10-year lead on, on Drew Locke. Um, I totally understand that because Joe, Joe Flacco's money is on the line here, he has to just look out for himself. And Alfred Williams used to say this all the time. I would never help a rookie because I know, that, I know why they're there. And it is. It's the general manager's job to, make, to replace every player on the team with a better player. And that's, I, I remember um, I think it was Bill McCartney who said it is our job to recruit players who are better than the players that we already have, and it's our players that we already have's job to make us wrong. Mm, yep. And the same thing is, is yep. true for a general manager. It's John Elway's job to get a better quarterback at any cost. Always try to make a, the quarterback better. And it's the quarterback that's theirs' job to make him wrong. Broncos are in a great situation. If they had Joe Flacco and they didn't draft Drew Locke, Ryan, they'd have one shot at finding their guy. If they didn't have Joe Flacco and they drafted just Drew Locke and got Brett Rippon as an undrafted free agent, they'd really just have one shot to find their guy. Now they have two, and, and it's great, and it's a learning experience for Drew. There's no pressure on him. Doesn't mean that Joe has to be that mentor for him. So I'm 100% okay with that, and you know what? Joe's going to bring that competitive attitude every day, and so is Drew. They're going to push each other, and that's only going to help. Speaking of Drew, uh, I had some people in my mention saying, this is so sad because Drew was so excited to learn from Joe. <laughs> Do you think um, Drew was caught off guard at all by what happened yesterday? No, no, he wasn't. Now, uh, Drew has been... Uh, has had excellent relationships with his backup quarterback, specifically the last one. But I don't think he was expecting that to be the same. And I don't think he wanted to latch on to Joe Flacco or was expecting to latch on and be best friends and do everything with him and sleep in his basement. I don't think he was expecting that. I think he knew the situation he was coming into was much different than that of him and his college backup. I could see him, though, being a little bit thrown off if Joe was standoffish to him. I don't know how they interacted in the locker room. But if Drew went up to him and was like, hey, man, it's great to meet you. I'm really excited for the season, um, and, I'm and I'm just excited to be in the same quarterback room as you. And Joe was like, yeah, what up? And just <laughs> walked away. I could see Drew being like, oh, shit, it's like that. Excuse I my language. Um, but I don't think he was surprised to hear Joe Flacco say, this is my job. Come and get it, essentially. I, I could see that being Drew's initial reaction, but literally the next second being like, it's on. It's on. And that's what I tweeted. I said, it's not Joe Flacco's job to teach Drew Locke. 
It's also not Drew Locke's job to be cool with being his backup. And so Drew should walk into every day saying, all right, going to have to go get this my own way. And I don't need your help. And that sounds crazy because we're talking about two guys who are teammates. But there are also two guys who are gunning for one spot. And so Drew Locke should approach every single day like he's trying to take Joe Flacco's job. That's what he's going to do. I agree. And that's why, Ryan, our eyes are going to be on the quarterbacks. And and uh, we also, I mean, you wrote a great observations piece. What, you had 15 other observations in there besides just digging deep into the quarterbacks? Uh, there was one other major observation that you had. And this one had nothing to do with anything that happened between the white lines in 7-on-7 seven seven or 11-on-11 11 11 or anything. But goodness gracious, Emmanuel Sanders was given a workout out there, and I, I'm, I guarantee it wasn't an accident that he was working out directly in front of us. <laughs> He's ready. He could have been out there yesterday. I'm convinced of that. Because he was running full sprints and then slamming on the brakes, which actually gave me anxiety. But he did it with ease. And I'm talking about this guy was flying. Like, it's kind of jarring to see someone run that fast right in front of your eyes. Um, he's flying, slamming on the brakes. And I was saying, wow, he looks ready to go. And then uh, a media member standing next to me said, yeah, but we got to see him cut. Within five seconds, there's Emmanuel Sander running full speed, cutting, running full speed, cutting, left, right, left, right. And I was like, okay, now can you say he's definitely ready he he could be out there in my opinion and he's he's breaking down after full sprints he's you know chopping uh, putting a lot of pressure on that Achilles and Ryan I talked to someone yesterday who had an Achilles injury uh, a, a little bit older than Emmanuel uh, but an athlete still they said it was a full 12 month recovery and emphasized how it was a full 12 months Ryan we're sitting here 6 months after Emmanuel had his and he's full go. He is full go. Now, do you want a helmet going to that Achilles right now? Of course you don't. But he could go out there on the football field. I agree with you. He could play. There's be the best receiver out there. Yes. There's there's no reason to rush it though. It have him back. I mean, I, I am one hundred percent of the belief that he could be back there. Uh, first day of training camp. Now, Emmanuel said he wants to be 100%, so maybe he's feeling 95% at the start of training camp. He's a veteran, so why would he rush it? Derek Wolf, the guy who I thought would love training camp, said training camp is awful. I'm sure Emmanuel feels the same way, just as I did in high school football when you had two-a-days. So Emmanuel's probably not going to be out there on the first day of training camp, but I've seen it all. From the video that he posted on Instagram last week to my own eyes watching it and move, doing vertical and lateral things, He's he's fine, so I have no concerns about Emmanuel. Yeah, you won't hear me on this podcast anymore say if Emmanuel's healthy. He's right. going to be healthy. Right. Barring a setback, uh, and I'll touch wood, he's going to be healthy and ready to go for week one. I'm 100% convinced of that. He doesn't look like a 30-year-old receiver, he, 31-year-old receiver. He doesn't look like he's coming off injury. He certainly doesn't look like a 31-year-old receiver coming off injury. And heck, even Ron Leary was out there. I think we need to... Um, just as a sports community and medical community and all of that together, we, I think we need to adjust how we think of Achilles injuries now. Uh, the fact that Ron Leary, because that's different than Emmanuel Sanders. Emmanuel Sanders pretty much floats on the grass anyway. Ron Leary is the opposite of that. He's like an elephant out there stomping on the grass, and that's not an insult by any means. It's just a big-ass man. Excuse my language again. <laughs> um, he... The fact that he can be out there moving around now, he didn't participate in the practice, but he was out there moving around, getting you know, getting loose and all that stuff, and he looked okay to me. 
So I think maybe we need to adjust the the thought that an Achilles is a one-year injury. Yeah, and I'm certainly not where I am with Ron as I am with Emmanuel because it's a lot different when he has to be pushing 300-pound guys. But I was impressed with the way Ron looked too. And Ryan, speaking of Achilles, Nico Fala, a backup offensive lineman yesterday, right at the end of practice, tore his Achilles. Injuries are awful for anyone. When you see Emmanuel Sanders go down in practice, you see Ron Leary go down in the game, it's awful. Your heart goes out even more for a guy like Nico, who, who was around the team last year, was active for or was on the team for 10 games, never got to play, but just fighting and clawing his way. And then this happens in the middle of May. Ugh, it's, it's the worst thing that can happen in a sport, truly. Ah, uh, yeah. Really sucks. Really sucks because, like you said, it's not a guy whose job is guaranteed. But if you want to look on the bright side, his job kind of is guaranteed now. (laughs) Uh, Broncos can reach an injury settlement with him if they want. Or if they like him enough, which he was on the 53-man roster for 10 weeks last year. Uh, If they like him enough, they just it's just a redshirt year for him. They can keep him around and see how he rehabs and all that stuff. So it's weird, and um, a lot of – Former NFL players who are just fringe guys will tell you, kind of wish I would have gotten injured in training camp <laughs> uh, because that either buys you a year or buys you a good chunk of a settlement. Um, so there is a slight bright side for him, although I, I'm sure he can't see that right now. Um, one more story, I guess, that came out of yesterday was Von Miller. The first time we asked him about Chris Harris Jr. earlier in the offseason, he was vague in most everything he said. Yesterday, he was very open, and he said – Chris has done everything right from playing through playing great on his first contract to playing great on his second contract to being great in the community uh, to being a great teammate on the field to being a great teammate in the locker room. He named off all the things that Chris is great at and he said, I think the message that you should want to send is that if you do all those things, you'll get taken care of. What did you take away from that message? What else were we expecting? Uh, of course, Vaughn was going to come to his side. He said he's best friends with Chris, uh, is you know so close with his family. Of course, Vaughn is going to be on the player's side. Vaughn went through a, an awful negotiation period with the Broncos back in 2016, and Vaughn said, yeah, it gets personal for both sides, and that's understandable. During negotiations, it's like arbitration. You, you got to knock this guy down. You know, John Elway's telling Vaughn's agent or, or, or telling Fred Lyles, now Chris's agent, ah, but Chris is old. We, ah, I don't know. He, he had a bad game last year. You know, he's pointing at all the bad things. He had an injury. Right. So it gets personal. And Chris is saying, yeah, but, you know, the corners you sign, they're old. They're bad. You guys need me. Of course it gets personal. And I'm not surprised. Of course Vaughn is going to take a side. Players are always going to take each other's side. John up there, he's not listening. He doesn't care what Vaughn thinks. Yeah, and John is so competitive that I think it makes it even tougher in this building. Is like he right. this is his new game. This is his new fourth quarter comeback. Is I gotta figure out a way to win this negotiation. And it changes it a little bit because I think there are some GMs out there who are just business guys. And they just say, okay, I have to make sure I get a good business deal. For John, it's kind of like a win-loss thing. And I wouldn't be surprised if he feels like he lost the Von Miller negotiations. Go ahead. Instead of 16 games when he gets to control everything, he gets two things. Free agency 
in the draft. People grade immediately on free agency in the draft. They grade three years down the line. While this isn't free agency, it falls under that category of contracts. And now, this is on a huge platform. I mean, we're talking about it. We have stories about it. Every media uh, outlet in Denver has stories about it. Once, once this is settled or not settled, there's going to be Chris one or John one. He doesn't get the regular season anymore. This is his time. Yeah, um, and, and I still come back to this is not the same thing as Von Miller's negotiation. Von Miller's contract, it was in his last year. So this is different to me because he already has a contract. It's right there in front of him. And I don't know. I just have a hard time thinking that John is going to let Chris come out of this with a big you know, celebratory number. He's not going to, Ryan. And that that's why it'll be very interesting to see what the counter is this week. But that's why maybe the, the $9 million per year isn't off the table. Because I don't think John cares about offending a guy. In the end, it's not, it's not his job to, be, to reward people for what they've done in the past. And I think that's really important for fans to get into their mind. Contracts are not a reward for what you've done. They are a prediction for what you will do. And it's up to John to best evaluate how he can, what Chris Harris will do over the next three to five years, depending on the length of the contract, and pay him what he thinks will be a fair deal for that. Now, does past success um, show that... Is it a harbinger of future success? Yes. If a guy sucks, you don't guess he's all of a sudden going to be really good and pay him like he will. So Chris has the pass on his side, but in the end, John has to predict how much he will be worth for the next three years. And that's not, it's not his job to give him like a lifetime achievement award. Exactly. Exactly. And John doesn't care what Vaughn thinks. And I imagine that every single player is going to say, yeah, Chris deserves a new contract because he should be getting paid more than $8 million, right? Yes. But he's under contract for $8 million and that really hurts him. And these negotiations, and as we detailed and really had the aha moment out at Fossil Trace Golf Course, that's when we realized, Ryan, John's got all the power. I'd like to have more aha moments at Fossil <laughs> Trace Golf Course. Maybe not on a podcast, though. Um, what else did you take away from yesterday's practice? <sighs> the defense, it's going to look different. It's a 3-4 defense. Broncos ran a 3-4 defense last year, the year before, the year before. But, Ryan, the amount of pre-snap movement that I saw that at, out there in the secondary was incredible. Justin, Justin Simmons is the high safety. Kareem Jackson's in the slot. Then right before the snap, it all switches. They all move around. That's going to confuse some defenses. And I think that's why Kareem Jackson's playing a lot of safety right now. And I do think he'll play some corner. If they get Chris back, though, I don't know how much corner he's going to be playing out there uh, because of, of how cerebral it looks like those safeties have to be. And Devontae Bosby, he's he's your starting cornerback right now the without boss. Chris Harris Jr. Yeah, and he kind of looks like a baller. <laughs> he does. Like, he looks like he can play. That might have been a find, a real find. Does that count as an undrafted free agent find? Or is that a free, just a free agent find? Mm, I mean, he wasn't drafted. I guess it's I guess it's a little bit of both. But they might have found one there. 
that might be uh like a Vic Fangio. Wow. <laughs> Kiss them, like that's a that's a Vic Fangio special right there. Now Isaac Yadam was is limited this week. He's supposed to be full go next week, so we'll see. Maybe Isaac comes in and totally takes that spot from him. Uh, that wouldn't be bad. That would mean that that Isaac is taking that step up. And remember, he's a third round pick. He shouldn't be written off. Uh, one other big defensive play, maybe the beef defensive play of the day in my mind. Bryce Callahan matched up against the beast that is Cortland Sutton. A pretty good throw from uh, Joe Flacco, probably the longest air yards throw of the day, all the way down the sideline to Cortland Sutton, who was in the end zone. Man, some sticky coverage from Bryce Callahan. Didn't really give Cortland a chance to make a play on the ball, uh, and that was encouraging for me to see the smallest corner you have go up against the biggest receiver you have and make a play like that. Remind you a lot of... Chris Harris Jr. because he he didn't look like uh, a shifty slot guy that's only meant to be inside and that's where he's been great at he looked like he could very successfully be outside now it was one practice and that's important to to understand but it's what we saw flipping to the offensive side of the ball and speaking of Cortland Sutton he looked like a number one Uh, I shouldn't say he had number one moments out there where he was getting open over the middle of the field there's my favorite offensive play of the day was a play-action pass. Joe Flacco hit his back foot, and I mean the transfer was so quick. Faked it, hit his back foot, and just ripped one over the middle of the Cortland Sutton on a, sh- I don't know, it was a shallow post, 10 to 15 yards, and it was a strike. Cortland would have been off to the races. It was I, – I turned to whoever was next to me and said, this offense is going to be a little more fun than last year's. It was just one of those plays where you're like, where was this? That looked so easy. Now, being realistic, the offensive line looked like it needed some more work, but the defense is always going to be better at the start of OTAs, at the start of training camp. They're always going to have success, especially when you have Von Miller and Bradley Chubb out there just causing havoc. Derek Wolf, I mean, a very good front seven going against guys. Juwan James was not there. Uh, the Broncos knew about this for a, a month or two. He had to take care of some business in Florida, so you had Elijah Wilkinson out there uh, next to... Uh, Ron Leary wasn't playing in team, so you had a backup there. Connor McGovern still learning the center position. Dalton Reisner, a rookie. And then Garrett Bowles was your staple along that offensive line. So I wasn't surprised, but that's just the honest truth of what I saw. And then I also saw uh, a few drops from combined between Noah Fant and Cortland Sutton. Do you want James have jury duty? <laughs> what, what do you know about a month in advance that you can't change the date on? <sighs> I want to say a community service thing, but that would have been a you know a great thing for Vic Fangio to say on the podium yesterday. It's like a jury duty or a court date are the only two things <laughs> I can think of where you have to be somewhere on a Monday that can, and, and and it just can't be moved. Man, if he had a court date, that'd be the most shocking player to have a court date. I know, yeah, <laughs> and I'm not I'm not trying to you know uh, spiral anything out of control. That's why I started with jury duty. I mean. I guess you could just say that too. I don't know. Yep. I was just, I was like, what, what do you know about a month in advance that you just can't move? <laughs> it's not like you get to go to like a buddy's birthday party uh, when you're an NFL player, especially on a Monday or like a mother's day thing. Like none of those <laughs> things apply in the NFL. I'll end on a positive note. Deshaun Hamilton. He looks like he's taken that step up. Got the first two first down targets from Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco looked like he was uh, a fan of Deshaun. Also made some plays to Sutton. And then Noah Fant. Uh, I meant to send out a tweet with my day one overreactions. Just like 
these are things that I saw today that I'm just going to completely overreact about. And my, my, my Noah Fant one was going to be Noah Fant will be top two on the team in receptions. Mm, I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt against it. He just has a knack for getting open and he, there's a lot of things that are going to have to happen for him to become the guy that, that everyone hopes he'll be, but he just has this thing where he's just open and he's hard to cover. And he had one really encouraging play for me because all the, all the uh, draft doubters want to talk about his contested catch um, problem. He didn't make enough contested catches. Well, best play he made on the day. Uh, he's, he's running a 10 yard out or so. And Will Parks is bearing down on him. The two collide as the ball arrives and Noah Fant catches the ball in the air in one movement spins off the contact from Will Parks and he just takes off. And I was like, Whoa, he's really fast. So I think Noah Fant is going to be a big time player for this team. It's what we saw in rookie mini camp, just continuing over, which is good to see uh, once you're going up these veterans is he's a receiver in a tight ends body right now. And you can count on that this year. He's a little more lumbering than a wide receiver, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just like he he looks powerful out there when he's running his routes. Uh, especially he's he's got the arm sleeve on, makes him look a little bigger. Reminds you of a bit of Gronk, except Gronk's wasn't an arm sleeve. Gronk's was like a building on his arm, holding Bionic. it in place. <laughs> yeah, but he uh, looks like he's going to cause some problems in the middle of field. Of all the rookies, and I didn't get the best look at Reisner, uh, who just kind of looked like he fits in in there. Of all the rookies, I thought Noah Fant looked the most comfortable. Without a doubt. Yep. Yeah. And, As your first-round pick should. And Juwan Winfrey had the longest catch of the day um, on one of the very few good throws from Kevin Hogan. He's going to uh, – he already heard from coaches about holding on to the ball until the very, very end. He had a, he muffed a punt and also had a few poked away at the end. So he, he, hasn't, he hasn't been on the practice field a lot just in college that's something he'll learn pretty quick loved it he signed his contract wearing a Broncos shirt that kind of looks like a jersey and the number on it was 187 which was the number in the draft that he went love that yep so he was the first Broncos draft pick to sign uh and then it's expected that Justin Hollins will sign today so Broncos moving in reverse order with signing their draft picks all right um I'm trying to think if I had one more thing I want to say. I don't think so. So let's uh, take a quick break here, and when we come back, we'll get to your questions from yesterday's podcast. The Colorado Golf Association was founded in 1915 with the purpose of representing, promoting, and serving the best interests of golf in Colorado. A CGA membership costs $59.95 yearly, and it gives you access to member offers, discounts, events and programs, a 20% discount on green fees at Common Ground Golf Course, and so much more. The best feature of Common Ground is that it's owned by the Colorado Golf Association, and that changes everything because our mission is to use Common Ground as a lot laboratory for creative programs, innovative programs that will grow the game, that will introduce it to a wider audience. It's hard to put your finger on what makes a golf course fun. Uh, it's challenge, but it's also playable, and it's a great value. That was Ed Mate, executive director of the Colorado Golf Association. He has worked with the CGA for over 30 years now. The CGA is currently conducting its third annual Dream Golf Vacation Raffle in partnership with the Bandon Dunes Resort. 
For $20, you can enter a raffle to win the Bandon Dunes Resort. Wonderful dream vacation that includes six rounds of golf on all three golf courses. Started selling raffle tickets a couple weeks ago, and we'll draw the lucky winner here later this summer. For a chance to win, enter at coloradogolf.org slash B-A-N-D-O-N. Welcome back into the BSN Broncos podcast. RK and Zach coming to you from Broncos headquarters. We'll get to speak with a couple of players today. Unfortunately, we don't get to see anything. It'll just be once a week for us, which is always frustrating at this point of the year because you never see enough. Like you were talking about Kareem Jackson, and I'm like, man, I didn't get a good look at Kareem Jackson at all yesterday. And it'll be a week before I get another chance to, and by then, who knows what I'll be wanting to watch. And that's why there's going to be overreactions, good and bad, left and right. It's because we only get a small sample size, and, and we have to draw on that. I mean, we'll talk about the practice tomorrow. We'll talk about it on Thursday, and then we'll start all over again once we see practice next Monday. Exactly. But let's jump into the questions from yesterday, and I'm sure some of them will relate to practice, so maybe we'll get some more of our thoughts in here. First one comes in from K. Pang. He says, is it possible Mike Munchak would be the next head coach if Fangio walks away due to age or in worst case scenario, gets let go. Not trying to say Fangio will be bad, just thinking of how old he is. How, how could he not be the obvious candidate for an interim head coach? Or, I mean, he's clearly the obvious candidate if, if Fangio is no longer here to at least be the internal guy to get a, a an opportunity, right? I think if anyone is the next man up in this scenario, mm. it's Rich Scangarello. Mm. Uh, because he now it, it, he's the one who's going to be hard to keep around, in my opinion. What if it's interim? Uh, that would probably be Mike Munchak right. because he has experience doing so. But I think if anyone was told, hey, you know, Vic's 60 and he's not going to do this forever, we want you to be that next guy. Remember John talking about continuity. I just have to assume John knows that if the Broncos go out and have a top five offense this year, Rich Gangarello is getting hired as a head coach next year. So maybe there has been some sort of internal promise to him that, hey, if everything goes well, you'll be the next head coach. I don't know if Mike Munchak would want it to be honest. He wanted to be in Denver, maybe to be the head coach, but we found out he wanted to be in Denver. Period. Period. Because of his family, his daughter's here. His daughter has uh, a few kids, so he's got some grandkids. There's a difference between being a Hall of Fame offensive line coach and that's all you have to do. I don't think Vic Fangio is checking to make sure Mike's in the office at 11 p.m. He knows that Mike is going is going to be able to do his stuff. A head coach... He may not never have time to see his daughter and his grandchildren. It's a very good point. It's a very good point. Um, I, assu- I assume just because he interviewed for the job, he probably would want it. But he might get used to this, mm-hmm. you know, and just say, hey, I like being an offensive line coach here in Denver, and I get, to, I get to do all those things that I might not be able to get to do otherwise. But don't you think Vic maybe is checking to see if Brandon Staley, the outside linebackers coach, is there? probably doesn't care. He, he probably will not supervise Mike Munchak for one second. He shouldn't um, because I think if you hire the right people, then you just trust that they're getting their stuff done. But maybe he is. <laughs> All right. Uh, he goes on. On to Locke. Isn't this pick both win now and win later? I say this because I think dra- drafting Locke makes Joe Flacco even have more fire and more to prove this year. Also, if Joe Flacco does terrible or gets hurt, we're now left with Kevin Hogan. And now, of course, it's Locke. Thoughts? I can't see the downside of this pick. Here's what, why it's very difficult for me to find the downside of this pick. Is he was your second, second round pick. 
He wasn't your first-round pick. He wasn't even your second-round pick. Those guys should contribute right away. He's just a bonus pick thrown in there, thanks to the trade from moving back to 10 to 20. So by taking by, by passing on Devin Bush for Noah Fant, you're able to get Drew Locke. And he's just a bonus. He's a bonus. I like that. Uh, and maybe it does give Joe Flacco a little extra fire. Flacco kind of tried to deflect that a little bit, said every year there's little things, but that's not going to be my main source of motivation. Sure hope it not. The main source of motivation should be getting back to the mountaintop. Joe Flacco lost his job last year to a guy that can't throw. He probably had enough motivation from that. <laughs> That's very true. Uh, he finishes and says, where do you guys put the question of the week at? I always hear it but never get to participate. Thanks for the phenomenal coverage always. Thank you. The question of the week comes out on Twitter, at BSN Broncos. Um, so if you go on Twitter and, and follow at BSN Broncos, you'll see the question of the week. If you're not on Twitter, I just can't help you there <laughs> um speaking of twitter i crossed nine thousand followers oh. yesterday so shout out to uh, all of you guys who follow me and all of you who don't at ryan konigsberg trying to get to ten thousand before week one help me out yeah you'll get there and whenever that blue check mark comes in i mean geez it's taking them long <laughs> enough seriously taking them long enough um Next one here comes in from Brian. Is Mr. Freeze responding to Brian? I'm not sure. All right, let's start with Brian. Hey, guys, quick question. Were we too quick to label Noah Fant as a receiving threat with potential blocking skill down the line? George Kittle was recently on a national NFL show and said that Fant has the Iowa lifting record in the power clean and hang snatch for all tight ends in school history. You don't perform those lifts at a high level without being a true physical presence. You two have seen him in person. What are your thoughts? Either way, have a good one, fella. Brian, your friendly neighborhood Raider hater. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's he's big. He's built. And that's why he's going to be uh, a threat this year. Now, can he? is he Julius Thomas? No, he, he can block. He's willing to block. Is he the best blocker out there right now? No, he, he, he's not. He still has to develop in that. I think when we say that, his receiving for a tight end is what? already 7 out of 10, 8 out of 10, his blocking may be at a 5. Here's a problem with draft Twitter, draft analysts, all this stuff, and, and Zach and I are certainly guilty of this at times too. A guy is either <laughs> the GOAT or he's trash. Right. And so people say, well, no offense, he's the GOAT at catching passes and he's trash at blocking. Both things are probably not quite true. You've got to come back to the middle on both of them a little bit, and I think you're right. He's not a 10 catching and a zero blocking he's probably an eight catching and a five blocking um you don't play tight end at iowa if you can't block you'll you just you'll get phased out uh and, and maybe they would have moved him to receiver if he couldn't block yesterday he had to block von miller now i always hesitate to praise people for blocking von miller because i von miller's like not even allowed to try as hard as he can in <laughs> practice so but he he was he set his feet he got in his right, you know, in the right position. He laid a block on Vaughn, and he gave Joe Flacco a little extra time. So, he is a decent blocker. He knows how to block. He, like you mentioned, he's an absolute physical presence. When you go into nickel, and they run a sweep to the outside, and Noah Fant's out there laying blocks on corners, you're going to see him block just fine. Mr. Freeze added a good point. He says, weight room strength and football strength are different animals. Technique is almost everything, which he will learn. Being strong helps. And that's true. That, that's part of the equation. Connor McGovern uh, could lift an unbelievable 
amount of weight doesn't mean that he's going to be able to move five defensive linemen back. Yeah. Um, Mike Munchak couldn't teach Zach how to be a right tackle. <laughs> you sure about that? I'm the sure Mike about Munchak that. Mike Munchak effect isn't that strong? <laughs> Not that strong. But Mike Munchak can teach Noah Fant how to block, and so can the tight ends coach. <laughs> What's his, why am I? The tight ends coach. Yeah. yeah. It starts with an H. Harmon. Wade Harmon. Sounds right. Thank Bingo. You. Uh, for Matt Dubois, I haven't finished today's pod yet. Sorry, i got to go back and finish it before you can ask any questions. <laughs> Moving on. No. No. <laughs> he says, but I wanted to get some stuff in while I remembered it. First, a comment. I remember Ryan saying how Drew Locke was super competitive and how he would, quote, probably mention his competitiveness with ping pong. <laughs> Not sure if you heard it, but he had a segment on with 104.3 on his first day in Denver, and that was one of the first things he said. Ryan is our Nostradamus. <laughs> Told you um and by the way uh i'm watching the draft academy series on espn plus one of like the opening scene of the second episode is drew and tyree jackson playing ping pong and it's in a garage okay and so drew is on the back side of the garage facing outward tyree jackson is on the the outside of the garage facing inward and he beats drew lock and drew is instantly like I can't see the ball because it's backlit. He's like, he, he's like, if you were taking a picture, you wouldn't take the picture with the sun in the background because you can't see what's in the foreground. That's how I am with the ball right now. I can't see the ball. Uh, do we hear him saying that right now? Because there's a ping pong table in this building. Yeah, so um, the lighting in this building is consistent on the ping pong table, so he should be fine. Especially in this room. He can come play ping pong in here if he wants. There's also a couple scenes of them playing spike ball. Are you familiar with the game? Yep. Uh, if you aren't, it's a it's a beach game, mostly or a park game, I guess, where you have a little ball and a little mini trampoline, and you have to hit the ball off the trampoline. And you have a teammate, and you can pass it to each other. And the goal is to get it past the other team and have them not able to keep it up. And in that, Drew's like super competitive too, and they're like, "You're cheating!" And like, <laughs> <laughs> so it's pretty funny. He goes on here and says, second, has anyone ever asked if Drew and Michael Porter Jr. are friends since they both came to Mizzou around the same time? Seems like that would be a cool angle. I shouldn't have read that out loud because I've been thinking about this for like a week and a half. Yep. And I hope no one hears this and steals that idea. Michael Porter Jr. did tweet right at Drew when he was drafted here and said, need a roommate, Drew? So seems like they know each other. And if you read my story on Drew Locke, you know what a true son is. Michael Porter Jr., also a true son. Mm, yeah, it was a big deal he stayed in Missouri. Yep, exactly. He played like three games. Yep. But hopefully Michael Porter Jr. gets healthy and leads the Nuggets to a championship. You want to get the next one? Next one coming in from Jeff Rogers. says, hey, guys, I haven't heard enough Drew Locke talk, so I wanted to help out. I think he's being sarcastic. He says, we've all heard how favorably Locke compares to Lynch so far, but how does he compare to Osweiler? From what I remember, Brock was a strong-arm quarterback with decent athleticism coming out of college, and he put in the work and said all the right things to the media. I know you guys weren't covering the team when Brock was drafted, but interested to hear your thoughts on how they compare. Thanks, guys. You know what one of the biggest myths is in, in like Broncos history? What? That Brock Osweiler had a strong arm. Mm. Brock Osweiler's arm was weak. Yeah. Like, I, I sometimes people get confused in watching guys' college tape and seeing them throw, like, a 60-yard bomb down the sideline. Like, oh, that's that guy has a strong arm. It's not that. It's the throw that Drew Locke made yesterday that makes you think the guy has a strong arm. There's three defenders in the middle of the field converging towards the middle of the field. River Craycraft is running behind them. 
And somehow Drew Locke rips an absolute bullet through three guys and into the hands of Craycraft to the point where the defense was celebrating. They were like, yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, River Craycraft comes rolling out of a pile with the ball. And I'm like, oh, my God, how did that get through there? People weren't saying that Brock Osweiler had a Jay Cutler type arm. He didn't. And it, and it, it is fair to say that about Drew Locke. Do you remember against the Eagles, his first start, he tried to throw a deep ball to Isaiah McKenzie, who actually had a step, yep. and it just like fluttered up in the air, and like four Eagles were there, and it only got inter- it only didn't get intercepted because so many Eagles players jumped for it all at the same time. Brock Osweiler didn't have a strong arm, so let's just get that out of the way. Real Brock quick. also, he was mobile, especially for being a big guy. But Paxton, when he came in, Paxton was so much more mobile than Brock. And they were kind of similar, obviously, statures. So you could see right away, okay, Brock could move in the pocket and escape if needed to. But Paxton could run. I see I, I see Drew Locke having, you know, the speed of Paxton and not just the in-the-pocket movement and last-minute escapability if needed like Brock. So... We can't go into much, like, because, like you mentioned, we weren't covering the team when he got here. I know he was amazing with the media. He's a really smart guy. Had a uh, great first press conference with us yeah, when he, he came did. back. Yep. Our first press conference with Brock was fantastic. Actually, I was here for a couple press conferences of Brock during the Super Bowl year, right when I started. But it's it's hard to compare for us just because we don't know. Lynch, we got to see every snap he ever took uh, in training camp and, and things like that. I just, Brock to me, I never understood why Brock was picked where he was because I never – I didn't see the tools like I do with Drew Locke. Mr. Freeze chimed in to help us out. He said Brock was only a one-year starter. He did, however, have a 63.2% completion percentage, 26 touchdowns, and 13 interceptions in his senior year. Locke was a four-year starter with a 56.9% completion percentage. In his senior year, he improved to 62.9% completion. 28 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. So he actually had a better senior year than Osweiler, who that was his only year that he played. Mr. Freeze says Locke also played in the SEC while Brock played in the Pac-12. Brock also threw the ball weird and sidearm most of the time while Locke effortlessly launches the ball. Brock also left the Broncos high and dry when Manning retired and left us with the likes of Trevor and Paxton. He did them a favor. <laughs> yep. He did them a massive favor. Because they paid Trevor Simeon $450,000 to start for them that year, while the Texans paid Brock $18 million to start for them that year. So he did them a massive favor by leaving you with Trevor and Paxton. What I'll say is Brock or Drew does throw the ball at 50 different angles. It just depends on what he's at, and that's an advantage when you're scrambling and you need a sidearm throw. He can do that. He can do the weird throws. I'm sure the coaches will want to see more consistency from that angle when he's in the pocket. And he plays golf, so he'll understand when they say you want your golf swing to look the same every time. <laughs> yep. Uh, same thing as kicking, too. Uh, so, anyways, it's a hard comparison. I don't. I can't compare the way they looked on the practice field, unfortunately. From Zeke Christensen. says, boys, long time no talk. I've been busy with family and work, but I'm still listening to every episode. Love the bonus episodes, but remember this, Zach. All work, no play. Maintain that balance. We need you as fresh and as passionate as we've always been. That goes for both of us, but I was just sharing. Um, he says, on this, I'm not here to mentor business. I get he's here to take your job, but I can't think of anything more gutless. Mm, wow. In many professions, the best leader is the one who best trains his replacement. 
Flacco's attitude is decidedly un-Bronco. Mm. He's looking out for number one despite millions in the bank and nary a tear should be shed when Locke crushes his delicate ego. <laughs> the mindset is a diva is as diva as it gets. See Roethlisberger. I get that Manning, Brady, and even Elway have been tough on backups in the past, and I wish this would change, starting with a dude who has no business being in that group anyway. If you're great at your job, what better service than to pass on what you know and then use his presence to elevate your own game? I don't expect Flacco to go down without a fight, but I do expect him to have some confidence and be a professional instead of being a pouty kid who's made way more money than he's deserved already. Hurt feelings report entry number one from Zach Christensen. <laughs> well, Zach, I love that you're bringing a, a different perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And I just have to disagree with you on a couple different things there. One, he said, I, I realize he has millions in the bank from the Ravens, but he really has nothing in the bank right now from the Broncos. And so his money is on the line in this situation. But I just, I, I think people... I guess this is more about what people want. People want these guys to all be like best friends who are looking out for each other and uh, are selfless in every way. It's just, you just don't find that. And if someone could point to me a, a scenario where there was a high level starting quarterback who was in on a team who was just chomping at the bit to mentor someone, then maybe I'll say, yeah, Joe Flacco should have been more like that guy. But you can go down the list. It started with Brett Favre. That's one of the most famous ones. I'm sure someone will say, like, oh, you're missing out on this guy back in 1973. But Joe Flacco and Aaron Rodgers was the first high-profile one. Then you had ones like Tom Brady and Jimmy G. Well, we remember reading that ESPN story in which apparently Tom Brady hated Jimmy G's guts, (laughs) wouldn't even let him work out at his trainer's workout facility. Um, You've got Roethlisberger last year with – Rudolph, right? What was his name? Rudolph? Um, yep. He he basically said, like, I'm not going to mentor him. Uh, help me out with some other ones here, Zach. There's plenty to go down the line. I guess Alex Smith and Patrick Mahomes you could point to and say it was more friendly. Yeah, but there's no, there's nothing out there where Alex Smith publicly said, like, can't wait to help out Patrick. Exactly. And here's how Joe would respond to that. He would say, I'm here to win football games. I, he said this yesterday. I don't have time for anything else and to help a young guy come along and uh, you may think how long does it take to explain this one play to him maybe that's right you know if drew asks for one thing a day that takes 10 seconds i'm sure joe can find that in his time in his schedule to do that but you know on on a larger picture he may be saying drew may want 30 percent of my time I don't have time for heck. I don't have time for five percent of my time, uh, and so that's how that's how Joe would respond. And like like I said in the first segment, I'm okay with it. Does Drew show up at the same time as as Joe every day and just like, better show up five minutes before him? Right, but my question is like at four thirty in the morning. Right, there's time for questions. I, I feel like there should be. Peyton probably would disagree. Okay, I just. I don't know. It's hard. I just need to see this for a day. <laughs> I need to be able to shadow the two of them for a day and just see the dynamic. Is it? Is it Joe doesn't talk? Like when I watch Broncos games with my family, I tell everyone, like, I'm working. Don't talk to me. Uh, is that what he's saying? Is Joe at lunchtime finding the table that just has one open seat left so that he's the only one that can fit there? Or... Are he are he and uh, Drew sitting at a table together talking just life? Yeah, 
who knows but yeah that's actually true <laughs> I, I, I the few times it doesn't really happen anymore because i'm usually at every game but the few times i've had to work from home while like with my family like there's been a couple of christmas eves games i say like listen guys <laughs> Can't I just can't be answering questions all game for you? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone gets three questions. Use them wisely. Do they have little slips that they pass you when they ask a question? Yeah, I'll get to it when I can. <laughs> Write it down. <laughs> all right. Um, before we move on here, I got to tell you guys about House Lift Colorado. If you're thinking about selling your house, but it's not in tip top condition, how do you ensure you'll maximize your profit? If your house is in need of an upgrade, Houselift can assist in eliminating all the stress of the remodeling process while matching the current trends that buyers most desire. And get this, there are zero upfront costs from you, the homeowner. That's right, you won't pay for any of the upfront costs for the remodel until your house closes. Houselift will handle everything, from the contractors to the design, all while managing the costs. Here's what you need to do. Head to their website, Houselift Colorado, or their Facebook page, just Houselift Colorado. Uh... And check out their incredible remodels.com. Jeez. Uh, check out the incredible remodels that they've done for homeowners in the metro area. In past jobs, Houselift has put anywhere from fifteen dollars to $60,000 more in their clients' pockets. Call 303-885-7888 today to find out what Houselift can do for you. Oh, yeah. And if you hire one of their preferred realtors, they'll sell your home without charging a listing commission. Make sure you use them so they don't get mad at me for messing up that read. <laughs> Let's move on here on the rest of the questions. And this one comes in from Nbot. He says, we don't need to go into that. <laughs> um, it was just a complaint. We actually had a similar complaint. Yeah, it was just technical difficulties somewhere it, along the line. It was 100% not our fault. Hmm. That's all I can tell you. Uh. Because if iTunes gets it right and someone else gets it wrong, right. something, something went wrong that's out of my control. Yep. Um, so... There was, I guess, a little bit of an issue yesterday with someone with uh, certain podcast players getting the same podcast as the day before. I don't know. I can't help. Sorry. I've done all I can. <laughs> done my job. Uh, he goes, uh, uh, we'll Mi- go on to the next one. Go yeah, ahead. Mr. Freeze chimes in and says, guys, the Broncos are back. My spirits are high once again after the post-draft lull in the action. Watching Locke and I guess Flacco sling the ball gets my blood pumping. I love watching videos and seeing photos of the team practicing and seeing numbers I don't recognize and looking them up and going, oh, that's fill in the blank. He's going to ball out this year. Snarky Joe Flacco is also my favorite Flacco. He talked to the media the first day, so that's a good sign, right? I think he's got something to prove this year and barking, barring injury, knock on wood, he's going to have a stellar year. I also thought that about Keenum at this time last year, so don't let me get your hopes up. I'm about as good at scouting a good quarterback as Elway. Oh, snap. Rude. I think it's time to start thinking of a nickname for Drew Locke. Maybe a dazzling Drew or a lovable Locke or Locked and Loaded. The debate is now open and polling may begin. I'm going to take a pass on all those. (laughs) You can't have lovable Locke. No. That's something the Raiders want to call him. No. Uh, a couple of people after I wrote my article said, like, Darth Locke. Um, or I just think, like, the villain would be sweet. Mm. But he's too lovable <laughs> 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 to be that. So, I don't know. It'll come. Um, nicknames cannot be forced. They just happen. And should you get a nickname as a backup? 
Probably not. You should probably wait. Unless you're, it's like a joke, you know? Like you're the, then this, you're lovable lock. Yeah, exactly. You're like, yeah, you're the last guy off the bench who everyone chants for yeah. in the basketball games. All right. Next one's here is from Micah Pexa. He says, first of all, adjutants can piss in my Cheerios all he wants. So long as he allows me a seven minutes. <laughs> oh, wow. It's disgusting. <laughs> On to football. Ryan, I'm still reading. Take your eye off the ball that you recommended. Excellent read. One of the things that Pat Kerwin, the author, talks about is the key to predicting the success of an upcoming season is the state of the team's salary cap. He says that the top three highest paid players cap hits should account for no more than 30% of the total if a team wants to have enough money to spread it around and keep players and keep the team competitive. I looked it up. Vaughn is making $25 million in 2019. Flacco is next at $18.5 million. And Sanders is at third at $12.9 million. That's a total of $56.5 million for all three combined. The salary cap is 188, so I did the math. It works out to exactly 30%. Props to the salary cap gurus in Denver. And props to you, Micah, for looking that up. Yep, and that would be Mike Sullivan, not the former quarterbacks coach who should get the credit there. No, the former lawyer. Yes, exactly. I guess current lawyer. Who knows? Um, He says, I know this is impossible, but in your knowledge, has it ever happened where a star player like Von Miller, who is making a gazillion dollars, decides to take a small haircut to help sign someone like Chris Harris Jr. Say Chris will only play for $15 million per year and the Broncos won't come above 11.5. Since Vaughn has been championing Chris's cause, might he ever walk into LA's office and offer to cover the difference on a three-year deal? <laughs> Vaughn's not going to starve, and it lowers the top three calorie sp- sa- salary cap number and spreads it out a bit more evenly, giving our defense a better chance to be elite and giving Vaughn a much better shot at winning the Super Bowl ring before he retires. I know I'm dreaming. Ryan, would you, do you just want to give me a little bit of your paycheck? I think I have been for a couple <laughs> years. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, no. Von Miller, that would be – so it's, he's paying $4 million a year, so Von Miller's going to pay $12 million <laughs> to Chris Harris Jr. Yeah. over the next three years? Yeah, it's – no. I like where your head's at, Micah. But he can do the, the restructure signing bonus thing because that just means we're giving you more money right now. And that's what happened last year with Vaughn. And they can do that again, but it, it that's not a pay cut. It's a lot different. Ryan, how much money did Peyton Manning make throughout his career? Tons. Tons. The final year of his deal. I guess it wasn't technically the final year of his deal. But in 2015, John forced him to take a pay cut, and Peyton was pissed. Peyton did not go in and say, let, let me give you some money back so you can sign this guy. No, that did not happen. These guys, and it's not just Vaughn not wanting to do that. The NFLPA would hate it. His agent would hate it. It's just not something that happens. So how about this, Zach? If the Broncos pay Chris Harris Jr. any more, one penny more than $13 million per year, they're over that 30% threshold. Mm, interesting so that's if they want if that threshold is important to them which who knows if it is they have to keep 13 million is the highest they can offer all right yeah i don't think john's going any higher than that i don't think we he don't is have either. to worry about that next one coming in from kodiak no fly zone says hey fellas i woke up this morning from a horrible dream that chris harris jr was traded to the chargers I was in a cold sweat thinking this, thinking this better not be real. Search BSN and social media to confirm it was all a dream. Phew, dodged a bullet there. On to my comment about Flacco. I love the fiery comments he made about winning for his team, uh, and, his, and that's his only job here. But 
do you guys think he is only adding fuel to Drew Locke's desire to outplay him for the starter role? I know it's very unlikely Denver would allow it. Seems to me that he's kind of snubbing the rookie quarterback, and I'm not sure if it's selfishness or he really believes he's in his prime as well. If he's in his prime or comes into a season or comes into this season, what a season we will have on offense. Also, I saw Jake Butt looked great out there. Can you guys confirm? I literally cannot wait for the podcast to upload every day and hear all the news from Broncos and food takes for the day. P.S. Do you have a... a you have to be do you present. Have to be present to join the fantasy guy, the league that we'll have. I want to say yes, just so more people are present, but the answer is no. A lot of people weren't present last year and drafted uh, remotely. We really, really, really are trying to get as many people out here as we can this year because it's going to be a party. Uh, we're keying in on week three of the preseason, which is an away game, uh, which is, of course, the most important preseason game of the year, too, which will be cool. So uh, the reason why we're going away game is so we can do a watch party. We can all hang out and watch the game together. I think that's cooler than just going to a preseason game. It saves you guys money. Uh, you get to hang out with us and watch the game. We're trying to come up with a cool place that we can do it. That's one of our sponsors. So um, uh, tentatively jot that down. Week three of the preseason, the BSN Open, the fantasy draft, and maybe some other fun activities as well. We'll get it hashed out so you guys can plan to get here. Exactly. Um, okay, on to his question. Is is Joe Flacco adding fuel to the fire for Drew Locke? Why not? Yeah, I mean, Drew Locke is as competitive as can be. And I think I mentioned it in the first segment. He could, he, Joe could say this, and Drew could say, all right, bring it, man. I, I'm coming for you now, especially now that you're going to be an a-hole. I think, honestly, the answer is unequivocally yes. Because I think Drew was trying to, maybe trying to get in the mindset of a backup. Like, remember, he, he just gushes about his backup at Missouri. So maybe he's trying to say, like, all right, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna do everything I can. I'm gonna be his best friend. I want to do anything I can to help him. And then if he finds out that's not um, mutual, I can see him being like, "All right, forget that. I'm going for that job mm-hmm. every single day." Yep. Next one from the OG MVP says, "Like the articles that gave a good overview of the first day of OTAs. I looked up Trinity Benson and Kalfani Muhammad, and I have to say these two have some juice." I know Benson has some return experience and looked good on some jet sweep plays. How does he compare with someone like Craycraft or Langley, since these two are guys who would be similar type players? Uh, let's start with that. Different. I mean, <laughs> Kalafani Muhammad makes uh, makes Philip Lindsay look big. Yeah, he is tiny, but he also had the best run of the day, I think. And speedbacks always have the advantage in this time of yeah. year. But man, he is just bouncing around out there like a little pinball. And Trinity Benson... <sighs> I guess you can say he's kind of like Brendan Langley, but he just, because he's a speed guy, but he's six feet tall. He's bigger than you would expect a speed guy to be. And Brendan's also the same way. You know, he, he's bigger than him. Uh, Brendan's what, 6'1", 6'2", and fast. Trinity, Trinity just looks like a speed guy, and then you're like, wow, he's big. Yeah, you, you want to know what the, one of the biggest disadvantages these guys have coming from D2, D3? It's not even always the uh, level of competition they're going up against. It's the, the programs that they're in, one with the coaching, and two, especially with the strength and conditioning. You just don't get the type of um, programs that you would if you went to Texas or Alabama. So 
the reason I bring that up is because Brennan Langley just looks so much more physically built for the NFL than Trinity Benson. Yeah. But that doesn't mean anything. Uh, in the end, it's going to come down to how you play on the field. And if they can say, hey, let's put this guy in the program for a year and then he's going to look like that and he's better at football, well, there you go. Exactly. Okay, he goes on and says, also, I like the speed and toughness from the Kalfani Muhammad highlights. But does he have a spot on the team open to him? He would most likely have to beat out Booker, who I'm not a fan of, but differs in style and especially in size. Do you think Denver would hold on to a speed slash scat back like Muhammad, try to find more versatile players similar to Booker for that third running back spot? He's got a spot, whether it's on the practice squad or 53. I, I just need to see how they're going to use a running back. Do they want that versatile guy like Booker? But since uh, Philip Lindsay and uh, Royce Freeman are now second-year guys, you don't need the veteran presence in Booker. And here's the other thing is you used to be able to look at Philip Lindsay and say, okay, well, there's your third down scat back type player. Right. Well, no, now he's your bell. He's your bell cow. Yep. So they still have a spot just because Phil's small. doesn't mean they don't have a spot for a small guy. Cause Phil plays like a big guy. So technically if they want to say that Kalfani Muhammad will be their third down scat back, if he can pick up a blitz, there's a spot for him, but that's all it's going to come down to can at five, seven, you pick up, um, you know, C.J. Mosley coming up the middle. <laughs> Philip Lindsay can. Now, I know he's not that small, but he can. He also chimes in and says, also, a side note, did you guys see the picture of Christian McCaffrey's arms? Someone's got yoked. Watch out for him coming through the line next year for Carolina. I did see that picture. Are they trying to convert him more to a running back? Because those are running back arms, not receiver arms. He is huge. He's huge, but, like, th- that can hurt your range of motion. Up top, he doesn't, uh, in my opinion, he didn't need to change anything from last year. But maybe they say, hey, we want to give you, you know, a bunch more carries this year. We need you to bulk up a little bit. Yeah, I don't know what they're doing, but he's huge. It's insane. From Samuel Bisu, a good question here. Hey, guys, who has the easier cheese, Flacco or Locke? Well, you said it to me on the practice field, so I'll let you say it first. Locke. Uh, Just by a little bit. Both of them have easy cheese. Um, but Locke has a little bit more of a compact throwing motion. Yep. So his just f- just shoots out of the hand. It's it's refreshing. Ryan, we, we watched Case Keenum last year light it up during this time. We weren't I remember us talking about the touch pass in the middle of the field. These guys have an NFL arm. It's so nice to watch. And maybe Flacco's best throw of the day was a touch pass. It was a deep out to Cortland Sutton pressure in his face and he just lobbed it right over the head of one defender right into Cortland Sutton's outstretched arms Cortland got a foot down dragged the foot and um the wide receivers coach yelled great route and the quarterback's coach yelled great throw it was like perfect <laughs> all right Ryan buzzer beater coming in get that music bah, 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 bah. nice is that good yeah from drop switch he says hey guys how many years will this coaching staff have with the team if they go eight and eight this year and nine and seven next year, would Elway give Vic a third? Yep, hundred percent. Yeah, trending uh, in the right direction. Trending right? in the right direction. Winning record. Everything will would be setting up. For some reason, I just don't. I don't see that happening. I think it's going to be like uh, either they have they have an upswing year this year, mm. or they stay a little stagnant this year, and then next year's a big upswing, or maybe it just all goes wrong. I, for some reason, I just can't see middling. Two straight years. I can't either. This team is this team is built for a ten win season, or something's gone drastically wrong. Maybe not this year. In the next two years, right, right, season. yeah. 
I think it would have to be multiple years under 500 for that for someone to get chopped. Yeah. All right. Well, that wraps it up for us today. But before we let you go, of course, i got to tell you about Live Well Enlightened Health. It's your go-to dispensary for the best deals on the highest quality cannabis products. Members of LiveWell's free rewards program have access to $30 pre-weigh half ounces and $60 pre-weigh ounces every day. LiveWell has 16 locations across Colorado from the Four Corners all the way up to Fort Collins with six locations in the Denver area. Visit LiveWell.com BSN for all the most up-to-date sales and promotions. That's LiveWell, spelled L-I-V-W-E-L-L. That's L-I-V-W-E-L-L.com BSN. Have a great day, guys, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. It's getting-